1: Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. All right, thanks for being with us on another edition
2: of Winning Ponies. Hope to bring you another exciting show and perhaps give you a slew of winners. We will be looking at the races that I handicapped last week with Eric Wing. Of course, uh, I want to give a shout-out to Gary Stevens, who was a guest last week, and he is on fire. Gary will be traveling down to New Orleans, where he's picked up uh, two mounts in the races down there at the fairgrounds. And speaking of the fairgrounds, our handicapper at the bottom of the hour is going to be the Daily Racing Forms. Marcus Hirsch, he covers both Chicago in the summer and the fairgrounds in the winter. Pretty nice circuit. He follows the weather. But uh, Gary's going to ride uh, Proud Strike in in the Risen Stars Stakes and Midnight Ballet in the Rachel Alexandra, two of the races that we will be handicapping, along with some of the big races from Gulfstream Park. Of course, it's the Fazig Tipton Fountain of Youth violence versus the world in there some nice horses though and then uh it looks like dreaming a julie is going to be the one to go through in the divana dale but we'll see what marcus has to say he's also going to uh tell us about what's going on at the fairgrounds i've had some weather related incidents with the uh the the turf course hopefully it won't affect uh, your handicapping and then uh we're going to have on uh, Rick Violet, Jr., the president of the New York Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association. Obviously, New York undergoing a lot of changes these days, and uh, Rick's been at the helm for quite a few years. He's also uh, been a trainer. He uh, has put together some great backstretch programs and also a horse rehab program in Take Two So we'll be discussing that with Rick Violet, Jr. But right now we've got one of our Winning Ponies players on the phone with us. John, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hey, John, uh, I know uh, that uh, you like to go up on the site and, and, and pull down uh, some of the info that they put out there. You know, uh, Winning Ponies is going to offer uh, free Derby Oaks Future Easy Win forms on the weekends uh, when whenever there's a futures pool. They already did it for Pool 1, and uh, so look for us around March 1st through 3rd. And uh, also, if you want to find the leaderboards, uh, they're up there on the Winning Pony site. Now, uh, I understand you went up and had a pretty good experience. It's not too long ago.
3: Oh, I had... Well, actually, today was a pretty good day. <laughs> oh, oh, really? really? Uh, yes, I've had... Well, in August, I had a streak of, like, nine winning days in a row at between $1,500 and 6000 like, after the ninth day, my brain kind of shut down. I had to take a break because it was just kind of mind boggling actually
2: <laughs> that's good. Uh, cool. so you breathe in and you breathe out I, when thought I was a half
3: year or something but for you know i i just made uh, saratoga and winning ponies like is like bread and butter Or you know that's you know like, like, uh i made. that's where it all started with me uh one of my i've been gambling for you know 30 years and and this kid well not kid but he he just uh, was new to horse racing and he goes yeah, look at this uh winning ponies thing and you know, I was like, hey, you know, I've heard, you know, you usually just shrug things off, but right. I was at otb and I was getting killed and I had twenty bucks left and it was a maiden race and they picked like bombs. It was one, three, and eight. I, I remember the numbers, I don't remember the exact odds. And I I bet a uh, two dollar exact apart you wheel know, uh one over the three eight and I bet a sixteen dollar straight trifecta one three eight. And it came in and paid like eighteen hundred dollars. And that then that kind of got the wheels turned a little
2: bit. Well Jenna, <laughs> I, I, I had
3: love, love the She was
2: like she's stories from ponies. Um tell tell the listeners what is it, what is your favorite uh you know aspect of Winning Pony? Is is it the uh, the the easy win forms? What is it that you've been using? Well, I the the angles I really like is their
3: sloppy track. Like today, I had a really nice one that made my day, actually. Um, they, you know, if I say single, they, the winning ponies usually gives you like the top three horses, so to speak.
2: Right. And once,
3: well, what one, you know, usually on the average of once per card, they give you a single they, that they like, you know, over, you know, obviously better than most. Right. Well, today in the mud at Oakland, they had a 10 to 1 single, but there was a uh, 3 to 5 shot in there. And so I bet, I bet, uh, you know, the 10 to 1, but I I also bet uh, 3 to 5 heavy over the 10 to 1 shot in the tape, I think 37 something.
2: All right. Yeah. Well, listen, that's great news. So uh, keep uh, tuning in. Of course, we're going to be coming down the, the road to the Derby. The racing's going to be uh, more exciting, but I appreciate you being a, a winning ponies player and a winning ponies listener, John. Thanks a yeah. lot.
3: Yeah, I love it. Thank you, guys. Keep it up.
2: All right. There yeah. we go. So you got to go to winningponies.com. We are giving out winners. Well, it, here's it, a winner. Another
3: FYI, you guys' maiden picks are spectacular. You know, that's, like I said, for your listeners, always, you know, pay close attention to the maiden because they're not as scared to pick, you know, 20, 30 to one shots uh, you know, that come
2: in. <laughs> well, John, thanks a lot for, for calling in. I really appreciate it. Okay, take care. See you. All right, take care. Well, another, uh, winner that, uh, we hope, uh, comes away a winner is Rachel Alexandra. We, uh, it was stated on the show last week, uh, that she had been taken to Rude and Riddle. Uh, of course, she had a very large foal, 140 pound foal. Uh, the foal is, uh, on a nurse mare and, and is, uh, very healthy. And, um, so after her emergency surgery, Right now, they're being very cautious, but it seems like some of the language is is not as dangerous as it was last week. She's actually been able to come out of her stall and graze and be walked. So it looks like she's starting to get her health back. Some bacteria had gotten in her colon. They had to take part of it out. Um, So basically... Uh, they're not giving out a whole lot of news, but what they're saying is is no news is good news, and uh, Stone Street Farm said the next official update on Rachel Alexander's condition will be issued on Saturday, so let's knock on wood and hope she's back. Another great mare that's still running is Black Caviar, the wonder from down under. Well, she remained undefeated with a 25 length victory in a race that's now named after her, the Black Caviar Lightning Stakes. She's won the Lightning Stakes the the last 3 years including this year was the first year it was uh named after her. Of course, she's now seven years old. I think it's great that she's uh, back into training. As a matter of fact, uh, just today, uh, she became the second active runner to be inducted into the Australian Hall of Fame. Uh, she joins the superb Sunline as the only other horse voted while still racing. And trainer Pete Moody says she's unbeaten. I doubt anybody would disagree with this honor. She's got nothing to prove. She is simply the best. Another one that is uh, simply the best as far as class acts are concerned is Ramon Dominguez, and uh, he's been discussing his rehabilitation. Uh, he's coming along as good as he can. But the main thing was is you know he feels like the prognosis for the first week, the physical therapy couldn't do a whole lot for him because he is so fit and doing well. But uh, he's not going to come back. Uh, he has no uh, timetable for his return. He's going to come back, but he has no timetable, and. Uh, he's maintained his sense of humor through it all he's taken it one day at a time and he says you know know, mentally if I'm sharp and I don't think it's due to the injury uh, you know I'm going to be coming back so uh, we wish him best of luck and let's hope for another great comeback story in the saddle this weekend is Gary Boulanger remember that name uh he's going to come back on Sunday we talked last week to Gary Stevens and been off the saddle for 7 years Gary's been away from 8 after a serious spill at Gulfstream Park as a matter of fact it was in the uh McDeMerta, a race that we handicapped uh, just last week and we'll be talking about in a little bit here but uh he uh you know has uh, undergone uh, uh he became a trainer after he took off from 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 riding and uh he's been getting on horses, he's been coming out in the mornings and uh he had to perform uh, before the uh the uh, stewards to make sure that he could break out of the gate. And he says, you know, he's going to ride, he feels healthy and uh he, he's going to come back. You may recall back in the early 90s where he rode more than 300 winners in 91 and 94. Uh he won both the Queen's Plate and the Woodbine Oaks. Uh, so uh Boulanger won five meet titles at two at Calder and three at Longacres up in Washington AM as a matter of fact he won two hundred and forty seven races there to beat Hall of Fame Jackie Gary Stevens. <laughs> so uh good good luck to Gary Boulanger. And uh, also, some uh, news from the breeding shed. Point Given is going to relocate to Calumet Farm. That farm is now being leased, and he's going to join the Australian champion, Americaine, uh, Canadian champion, Aya the Leopard, multiple-graded stakes winner, Aconite, and Lentenor who's a full brother to uh, Derby winner, Barbaro. All right, we said we're going to take a look at uh, some of our races from last week. Uh, let's get right on with... Why didn't I ask him about this horse? <laughs> when we were talking to Gary Stevens last week, we mostly discussed his comeback, and I should have said, well, how do you like your chances in the Santa Maria? Well, you know, a lot of people didn't like his chances. He was sent away at 9-1 to on the Brazilian bred Great Hot. and Great Hot had never gone wire to wire, but Gary had been working the horse in the morning. The horse worked a bullet prior to the start in the Grade 2 Santa Maria, and... uh went wire-to-wire, wire, held on by a half-length over the Even Money Favorite book review. Uh, so congratulations to Gary, who's now in the last uh, week and a half, has won the three stakes races out at Santa Anita. We'll see how well he does at the fairgrounds this week. Uh, then we had the uh, the Mac Demirda. I was hoping to get that name out right. Um, the Mac de Myrda, and uh, this uh, set off a great uh, week for, for Bill Mott. Of course, Royal Delta made a come back in the Saban, uh, but then the Mac Myrda, it was uh, Amira's Prince, an Irish bred, who stalked three wide, made a big move on the turn, and then pulled away. This is a horse I like because Johnny V. Uh, was had the mount on teaks north, who uh, may well have been the favorite. He wasn't. Uh, they went with Johnny V. But uh, Amira's Prince got the job done, and uh, running second was Teeks North. Third, I owe you big time. Let's see now. From there, we went to a race that could have impact with the uh, Kentucky Derby. We thought it would. Uh, <laughs> Eric Wing was our uh, guest handicapper last week. And basically we said, boy, we ought to just box the Triple Crown nominees. There were four of them in there. Well, believe it or not, the Triple Crown nominees did not hit the board. Uh, Mandano, 2-1, to one, from the Baffert barn, took the lead and looked very strong into the stretch. But then all of a sudden he was just swallowed up by Dice Flavor, who went off at 9-1. to one. Nice ride by Jose Valdiva, Jr., off the pace and got the job done at nine to one. In the second spot was Nina's Dragon, another non-triple crown nominee at thirteen to one. And third was Eric's Longshot, who went off at twenty-five to one. Counting days, none of those horses are nominated to the Triple Crown. So a bit of an upset there uh, at at Golden Gate. In the El Camino Real Derby. And then we went to Laurel Park. It looked like a very evenly matched race right there. But it was upset time. That's right, a shipper from Mountaineer who had won three in a row. maiden special weight, allowance, allowance went off at 22 to 1. Stole it on the lead with Juan Vargas in the saddle. Funny's approval got the job done over the favorite, my Wandy's girl. And a running third was the four. With great pleasure. Well, that pretty much wraps up the uh, racing scene across the country from last week. And coming up next, I'm looking forward to this interview. We're going to be talking to the president of the New York Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association, Rick Violet, Jr. You're listening to Winning Ponies.
1: internet flagship station
2: for sports voice america sports
1: and they're off what can't make it to the track
0: on the Voice America Sports Network. Here, 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 here. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. Back goes O'Neal. He's the there. Shot. Got it With 2.8 seconds two left. left I don't care where they put him. This one is
1: out of here. From high school to the pros, we, <laughs> we, cover, everything. we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports.
0: Every Wednesday, you'll want to talk sports with touchdown Tony Collins and his co-host Bill Mattis. Tony's broken records and has been to the Pro Bowl and the Super Bowl. We'll talk about what's happening in sports every week with news, action, and notable guests from all aspects of the sports world. We'll also involve you by discussing questions and topics of interest sent in via email from listeners all over the world. Become what you believe. Tune into Sports Talk with Touchdown Tony Collins. Wednesdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Sports.
2: All right, and with me now is Rick Violet Jr., the president of the New York Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association. He's got quite a varied background. Uh, Rick started showing hunters and jumpers uh back on the East Coast, then he started galloping horses part-time and kind of came over to the other side and decided to uh to go with the thoroughbreds after graduating from Lowell University in Massachusetts. He started on the backstretch at Suffolk Downs, uh worked for trainers like Emile Elaine and David Whitley. Uh started his own public stable in 1983. He's developed many New York uh, graded stakes winners, including uh, Read the Footnotes, Man from Whitlow, uh, March Magic, Dream Rush, and High Finance. So um, I got a feeling that the New York Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association are really happy to have a guy that has <clears throat> seen the sport from just about every side that you can. Rick, are you with me? Yeah, I am. I'll try to stay with you. i'm I'm sure you'll do fine um well uh, tell me in i mean new york has been so much in in the headlines lately i mean the impact uh that that the aqueduct uh uh, casino has has had on on racing kind of describe to us what what the landscape where you were where you are and where you hope to go well, I mean, we were crashing and burning. There's no
4: question about it as far as even press levels had reverted, you know, back some uh, 15 years as far as overall prices, The breeding industry in the state, uh, there were, or, I mean, I think they lost 100 farms, uh, which out of, which was like 25 or 30% of their total farm, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, businesses in the state. Stallions were leaving, you know, uh, and, I mean, big outfits were leaving. Uh, Becky Thomas' sequel had basically gone to a skeleton crew and and, and had just a couple of uh, of resident mayors there and stuff like that. So we were in great shape. And uh, since the VLT revenue has uh, started flowing, uh, it's been an absolute about face. The, uh, uh, The full crop. Is projected, I think, to increase by 30%. Uh, the, uh, not only did a lot of the farms return, but a number of, uh, Kentucky entities have uh, dipped a toe in the water, uh, from, you know, uh, Darley and, uh, Binary and Three Chimneys. You know, significant, uh, presence in Kentucky is now a presence in New York. Uh, the, the press structure has, uh, has risen about 40%. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, overall product, while a lot of times, uh, there are a lot of fingers pointed at the quality, uh, a lot of times it's compared to a myth or something that really never existed or isn't out there. Uh, the day-to-day racing, uh, at, uh, both Santa Anita and Gulfstream Park, the state state's A product, is a lot of times no better than it is in, in New York. Uh, with, you know, everybody has, has some cheap uh, racing at the bottom, and uh, that, that's just a, uh, something that everybody has to deal
2: with these days. Well, but, it, it seems like almost uh, weekly on the show when I have a, uh, a segment on uh, stallions and breeding the like. It, it's like almost every week. Obviously, now we're into the breeding season, so it won't happen as much. But there was an announcement uh, of you know a quality stallion moving into the state, and obviously that is going to mean that. The, the, the broodmare crop's gonna improve and probably better broodmares are coming. Uh, recently, uh, you put out a letter from the president for your organization, uh, concerning the year-round race and what I, what really hit home for me was, uh, the, the ramifications, uh, that the impact it would have on the thousands of jobs supported by the industry. And, you know, that's one thing I, that's always bothered me. about People saying, well, why should racing, you know, get, get their cut of casino money and not, the, you know, the Circle K down the street? Well, you don't want to close down one industry to open up another. And quite frankly, the, the racing industry is a huge pebble in a pond. I don't know that, that people recognize the impact it has through so many jobs. You know, we joined together actually was just about a year ago with the Standard Bread Industry the
4: Farm Bureau, the breeders, and did uh, uh, had an independent company do an economic end, end, uh, impact study in New York State, and we held our breath a little bit. We thought we were significant, but we needed those numbers to come back uh, in the in the right uh, direction, and it was really phenomenal. I mean, there's 33,000 full-time jobs attributed to the horse uh, industry in New York State. Uh, it's a four billion dollar uh, impact. To, to uh, the you know revenue in New York State, a million point three acre, uh, uh, three yeah a million point three acres of uh, green space uh, is pretty much preserved by the, the uh, in, uh, horse industry in, in the state, and it goes on and on. Um, our revenue that we get from the VLTs, we would lose tomorrow if the only thing you could say is was giving uh, money to wealthy horse owners, and we know that. Uh, sometimes wealthy and horse owners isn't necessarily in the same sentence. Uh, it, 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 it can sometimes bring a wealthy man to his knees. But if we're only that, we lose it tomorrow. The biggest reason we have that revenue is to bolster an entire industry, and that's from the grassroots up. And the, if you want to call it a jobs program or, or an infusion of, of, of money to support uh... a significant uh... population in, in new york state and that's that's jobs from the hot walkers to the uh... surgeons to the dentist to the dry cleaner and the deli down the road all of those uh... are directly connected to, to racing. It or it's a significant industry and it deserves the aid that we're getting and without it uh... those jobs will go to other states or just disappear so um... It's a cycle. I mean, year-round racing doesn't necessarily fit for a lot of places, but in, in New York it works. The revenue is there. Um, the, uh, the product is certainly, you know, the February product isn't the same as the uh, Saratoga product, but the jobs that it support are really, really significant, and it really doesn't do, you can divert some of that revenue to some other industry,
2: uh, and just trade jobs or lose jobs and lose green space jobs. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and I really thought that was important in your in your letter from the president. And, uh, I, and I think that's something that can't be emphasized enough, because there are people outside of our game that just watch, you know, the Triple Crown races and, and and see what appears to be, you know, rather affluent people winning a whole lot of money, and they don't realize the trickle-down effect that this sport really does. But right now, I mean, there can't be uh, – uh, this has got to really give you impetus uh, through the Horseman's Association to be able to finally tell people, hey, you got a chance to make money. Come to New York. Breed in New York. Well, get in Ohio. You get, doing, get a New York you rat.
4: say You say that very delicately. We give them a shot to break even. I mean, I, I never, you know, getting into horse racing and attaching it to making money is, uh, I don't want to insult the used car salesman out there, but it's, it, it you have to get into it because you love the game. You certainly have a better chance to make economic sense with the revenue that we're dealing with now. And if you're fortunate, you can make some money. But it's a tough, tough business. Still 90% of owners are probably uh, going to break even or lose money. And that 10% of fortunate people uh, out there that do doing things right way with a uh, significant injection of luck, um, uh, I can't be shot to make some money. But it's... It, 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 If you're getting involved solely to make money, you're probably supposed to be doing something different.
2: Right. and I've always emphasized that to my friends that want to get in. First, I advise partnerships because, you know, you you can get your toe in the water and not take a big hit and say, look, if at the end of the year we break even, we had a great season because we had so much fun, we watched your horse develop, maybe we got our picture taken a couple times, Uh you, so it's yep. nothing you go in, but the, the whole thing is, at least for uh, farm owners and breeders, you've got some more incentive now to try to say, you know, you got a better chance now, you know, maybe coming out of this, you know, instead of just you've got no shot.
4: No question about it. I mean, it's the second leading uh, agri-industry in the state. Uh, dairy farming is, is the leading agri-industry. Uh, so it, it's We've been quietly, you know, we, we, we've taken a bunch of uh, blows to the chin and got a bloody nose over the last uh, year or two. But it's a substantial business that's with a bullet up, uh, the, the, with the infusion of money, with the return of uh, a lot of farm owners and jobs. The 33,000 jobs will certainly spiral upward if we
2: continue
4: in this direction.
2: Absolutely. Well, it's just great to see, you know, the farms coming back and the jobs that are being creative. Uh, and also, Rick, I'm running out of time here, but I want to thank you for some of the humanitarian programs uh, that you've started, uh, both on the backstretch and uh, your uh, take two program for retired racehorses. I think you're doing an outstanding job.
4: Well, thank you. That's really taken off. There are literally all four, uh, four corners of the country from Oregon to Florida, California to Vermont will have those take two, uh, classes restricted to, two thoroughbreds, uh, at horse shows. And
2: it's, it's really, it's its second year. There are over 50 shows that I'll offer it. it. It's, it's really, uh, spectacular. All right, well, listen, I'm going to advise anybody that uh, if they want to find out more about what's going on in in New York and uh, Rick's efforts, uh, to go to www.nytha.com. That's the New York Thoroughbred Horseman's Association.com. We've been talking with the president, Rick Violet. Rick, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Have a great day. Okay. Well, I'm having a great day, and hopefully it's going to get greater because I'm going to get a chance to talk to one of my favorite handicappers, Marcus Hirsch, the man from the Daily Racing Forum that gets to follow the good weather in the summer in New York and the good weather in the winter down in New Orleans. You're listening to Winning Ponies.
1: All right,
2: and with me now a gentleman we had on oh I'll say 6 months ago, but we were talking Chicago racing then, and now he's uh, moved his uh, tack down to uh, uh Gentilly Boulevard uh in New Orleans, and uh that of course means he's at the fairgrounds with us from the Daily Racing Form writer and handicapper Marcus Hirsch. Marcus, how are things going? Things are going fine, John, and you? Uh, not bad at all, except we're expecting an ice storm tonight, so hopefully the wires won't go out before this interview concludes. <laughs> Listen, just kind of, uh, paint the picture for us, will you, of, uh, uh the, the, the meat. Uh, what's been going on? I understand that that, uh, that Rosie's on fire. There's, uh, some situations going on with the turf course. Uh, for our handicappers out there, how's the main course playing? Just kind of give me the view from the press box. Well, I wouldn't
5: say that Rosie Napravnik has ever really been on fire. I don't think she's won races at quite the same pace, even over the period of a couple weeks that she did during her hottest period the last couple years. But she has opened a decisive lead and the train, in the jockey standings. Um, are there are any number of capable riders here, and I'm you know looking around at other tracks with similar purse structures. I'm always impressed with the quality of jockeys at this meet. Um, track trends. Nothing tremendous, really. Um, the main track has, with slightly speed biased over a couple weeks, but that was months ago. Um, the last the first of the year. Other than the little blip here and there, I would say it's been as fair as I can remember it, um, which is different than the last couple years. I feel like all kinds of horses in one turn and two turn races have a, an equal chance to win, just given the pace situation and the, the trip they get. Um, the turf course. Uh, they were back on turf today. The turf was rated good. This, I think, it was the 19th day of turf racing since January 1st, which is a low number for fairgrounds. Usually it's twice that much by now. Um, there's been quite a bit of rain about twice as much as the last two years, and the turf course has been retaining water to some extent. Um, like I said, it was good today. And interestingly, two of the three turf races on this card were, were won by horses, race near the lead and close to the rail. Uh, the rail has been dead at a lot of points the last few years on turf. Um, I don't know if that was the case today, but things could be completely different by Saturday. It's supposed to get rain tonight, tomorrow, and Friday night. 20% chance of shower is Saturday. So, uh, you know, the course that they run on Saturday is going to be much different than the one today.
2: Well, it should provide us with a handicapping challenge because uh, when I look at uh, the Risen Star, which, of course, uh, is a points getter for the Kentucky Derby, as has become the trend, uh, uh, these horses are kind of lightly raced, and a lot of them really haven't had a chance to to run on a wet track. Um, Would that alter your handicapping uh, going into the Risen Star? Mm.
5: Not usually. I'm also skeptical that the track will be will be that wet on Saturday. Um, the forecast is kind of fluid. Now there's a twenty percent chance of showers again Saturday, but I get the sense that the weather's moving off Friday night. I'd say there's a chance of a fast track. Um, probably more of a chance of a good drying out track than a sloppy or a muddy track. Sometimes fair grounds uh when the track starts to this into the case I think at a lot of places Speed horses start to do better than they would on a typical track. So if you see a good drying out track on Saturday, I would be alert to that sort of profile emerging. Not, not certain by any means, but even if, it, if the track comes up really muddy, John, I, there's usually, or there hasn't been recently, any sort of major bias to it, and I don't see any horses that I'm automatically disliking because of mud, so no. My handicapping would probably be about the same.
2: Well, all I can say is it's, it's quite the handicapping challenge. I mean, uh, last week we looked at the El Camino Real Derby, and there were only four horses that were nominated to the Triple Crown in there. Believe it or not, not one of the four hit the board. When I look I at it. this, we've got a, an overflow field filled here, and uh, I only see two that are not nominated uh, to the t- Triple Crown. So you you got a pretty good challenge of handicap in this race.
5: Yeah, okay, as far as the actual field, so there are 15 entrants, 14 max can start. He's had enough. He's not coming here. He's going to Florida instead. That gets us down to 14. The outside horse, Sunbeam, has plus entered in the Gentilly Stakes for Louisiana Breds earlier on the card. Uh, you know, as long as that race is off-turf, he's going to go there. Um, that leaves a field of 13, and, you know, who knows? There could be a scratch or two from there, so... I'd say maximum field 13, but I do totally agree. Um, It is a handicapping challenge. Uh, I see a lot of horses that, to me, at this point in their career, are lumped in a pretty small group. I don't see a huge distance between the worst of this group of about seven horses and the best. So, yeah, whenever you get a situation like that, you know, you're faced with the task of doing a lot of projecting, who you think is going to develop the most and, like the circumstances, the best. And that's what makes it interesting. You couple that with it. As you mentioned, there being a lot of Triple Crown nominees and Kentucky Derby qualifying points available. Um, It's definitely a race worth watching, and I'm kind of enthused about seeing what
2: transpires. Well, I had a chance earlier today to talk to my friend uh, Brian Hernandez, and he was in huh? a bit of a conundrum And that, uh, you know, he'd been riding uh, Proud Strike and he'd been riding Golden Soul and he eventually landed uh, on departing for Al Stahl. But I will tell you, he, he had very good things to say about the other two. I mean, he said uh, Proud Strike is a uh, cult that is just improving every time he goes out. And, of course, you're going to get Gary Stevens into ride him he said you want to talk about somebody being on fire and uh golden soul well you know he ran into a buzzsaw last time in oxbow uh, but uh brian says he still thinks that that horse has a lot of upside but uh, you know it's really tough when you're named on a couple and he finally decided to go with the parting because he thought his last effort a mile and 70 was was just so impressive so there's just some input from one of the riders that could have been on three horses in here
5: yeah it was kind of interesting that he was faced with that early fusion choice. and Now, Departing drew so poorly, too, and there is a the possibility that he could be scratched because of the post, which is unfortunate for Brian and his agent, Frank Bernays, both whom do a fine job, I would say. To me, of those two horses you mentioned, besides Departing, uh, Cloud Strike is a little bit more interesting. I mean, he's one race behind uh, Golden Soul In terms of development, he just won a maiden race. The other horse that you know, one is made in race easily, then ran in the lacons, which is comparable to a one other than allowance race, basically. Um, so Cloud Strike ran, it was an off the turf race, and people have questions about that, but I do think the field was about at least par for, uh, fairgrounds, two turn, you know, dirt, made in special weight race. Um, you know, two of the horses came back and one They didn't beat what seemed to me to be a special field, but they did beat, you know, average group of three-year-olds, so. I think that was a decent race. at proud strike one. He won convincingly. He drifted in a little, you know, once he made the lead. He's, I don't think he's that far along mentally or physically. Um, but you know, if he's had enough time, several works for us. He's been, He's got a chance to. I think show some progressiveness this
2: weekend. Well as I look at this at this race I really think again it's a very uh, a quality field and any one of these horses could have a huge race. You wrote a great story about a Chad Brown and Normandy Invasion. I I got a feeling this race either goes through him or Oxbow. And uh, just not sure if Oxbow if that was a freak and he's going to bounce or if this is one of the best 3-year-old Wayne's had in a while. Uh, give us your insight on, on these two Colts. Okay um well, Oxbow, you know, I was,
5: I wanted to pick him to win the race, which you probably, I probably wouldn't have thought that would be the case um, when I came down here on Monday from Chicago. But, um, you know, in, in kind of looking more carefully at all the past performances, and I went back and watched all the replays, the ones that I'd missed for the first time, and most of the races that I'd already seen again. And, uh you know, Oxbow's is struck me as, at, at least as good as anything that anyone else in the race has shown. Maybe perhaps not quite up to uh, the Remsen performance or Normandy Invasion, but I'm not even convinced of that. And um, so I think the last the comp winner to win the Risen Star was Freezing Fire, who was based here all the time, not like Oxbow, who's going back and forth from Oakland. But I'm not going to eliminate a horse just because of a historical factoid like that. Um, isn't the right horse can win the race. and um, I was just talking with somebody you know of. uh works for the racing form now, Bob Fortis, and we both kind of agree. It looks like there's a lack of pace in the race, which I think is Knoxville's favorite for sure. I mean, he's a very forward kind of horse, I don't think he's speed crazier or anything, but um, I think he's going to have a great chance at, at a fair price. You know, the, and because I'm for a horse like him, I'm kind of against a horse like Normandy Invasion, he did show speed in his debut at Brent Race and and faded late. It was kind of a lot different than... His next two races, uh, at a mile and a mile and an eighth, where he was taken back and made a big run, a really sustained run in the Remsen, but I mean, he does have natural speed to some extent, but I certainly don't think he's, uh, he was being trained that way last year, Um and if he's gonna, you know, display a nice relaxed style, settle mid-pack and try to make a big rally in his first start of the year, and the pace is moderate and the front runners are pretty good, he might have trouble, uh, getting there and his odds are gonna be short, so. I'm taking a little stand
2: against him. Um, one more question before we, uh, move on to the Rachel Alexandra. Uh, a horse that I think kind of got a little move up this week was, was Code West, a horse who only broke its maiden and then came back and won an optional claimer, but ran behind a Super 99, who <laughs> looked awful yeah. good in the Southwest. Yeah. Um, and
5: there's no denying Super 99 was. Visually impressive and pretty fast against the clock and the, the circumstances were all in his favor for sure, you know, the way the tracks seemed to, seemed to get when it rained. And of course it's a it, it, it terribly small sample to pick it up, but it, it, it did seem like you were, were going fast and you had good speed and some salmon to go along with it, you were in good shape. He certainly had that. Um, but so the question is what, you know, how much does that relate specifically to Code West chances here? So... He, lost, he was decisively beaten by Super 99 last time, and having watched all his races, he's a very solid, forward-moving kind of horse. From what I see so far, blinkers off could, yeah. I suppose, change the way he finishes. So far, what I've seen is that kind of a grinding type who might, if he keeps coming on, coming on, you know, be a horse for a mile and an eighth and beyond races. Um, so, to me, he's a horse, Code West, that is going to show up and run decently. Um but might not be in a position to win the rhythm of star.
2: Well I just wanted to throw that out there because you know there's so many angles. A Bafford who's trying to dodge all his own horses, uh blinkers off uh, you know, against a horse that uh that uh, put out and like you said up lead right? performance. Pardon me? Yeah. And
5: sending in the jock too. Garcia's gonna ride him with a rider switch to him last time. So I mean Good. He will use out-of-pound jocks in the right situation. I don't know. I have no idea what Garcia's business
2: is like out west this weekend, but I do think that he is well-meant in the race. Well, from there, let's go to a race that could have impact on the Kentucky Oaks. It's the grade three, Rachel Alexandra. Marcus, what was this race named before two years ago? This race
5: was the Silver Bullet Day.
2: Okay. And the
5: first race in the series was the Tiffany Lass.
2: okay, yeah. I was back there when Tiffany Lass
5: was going long on dirt. And the Silver Bowl Day is the first in the series and this is the Rachel Alexandra.
2: Well, you, you pointed out in an article earlier th- this week that uh, Silver Bullet Day kind of turned out to be a, a mix of gumbo and that uh, we're not going to see uh, many uh, uh, returning horses out of that race. And uh, so right now, I mean, is this uh – Leave this race, uh, it looks like Pletcher might be the one with uh, Rosie up on unlimited budget. You got a Philly that's nominated to the Triple Crown. Uh, is she the one that they got gonna knock her tiara off? Uh, I'm not gonna try to beat her.
5: You know, you, you pretty much covered it. The,
2: I'm not sure
5: that the horses that are in this race that didn't run in, in the uh, Silver Bullet Day are Substantially worse than the first two finishers. I'm not sure how strong a race it was, but I don't think there's anything better. And from what I can tell, Unlimited Budget looks like she's already run better than these horses. I know that Unlimited Budget, you know, had things her way when she beat Emollient in the Demoiselle, but she did beat her, and I think Emollient is a very good filly. And I, this horse has probably been trained, you know, to win first time out under the right circumstances, and I think she'll probably find them in the uh, Rachel Alexandra.
2: Well, yeah, I definitely think she uh, she looks like a standout, and again, you know, uh, Todd Pletcher just trying to get out of his own way <laughs> with all the great horses yeah. that that he's got you know, in his barn. Well, here's what we're going to do, Marcus. an alternative. A, I mean, the horses run
5: fast and was a bit flashy with dancing in the circle for Larry Jones on a few horses he runs in his spot. Uh-huh. um it, her her race in the by the light going to turn seven furlongs to Delta last time was was I thought a very good race and maybe the best she's run so she's got some progressiveness to her and, uh, and she's been pointed to the spot since then and I think they've hit all the works they wanted to hit with her and blah 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 the question is just if she can carry her speed a mile on the sixteenth if she's pressed into a, a decent or fast pace and from the look of things there is some speed in here so she could be
2: a little bit vulnerable. Well, and again, you've always got to respect Larry Jones, and you did point out that it sure does look like they've been pointing towards this. Uh, Obviously, uh, Dancing in the circle loves the surface down there. She's been tearing up in the morning. When you're best of 52 down at the fairgrounds, you're running faster than some nice horses.
5: Yeah, um, Mr. Jones does tend to let his horses work fast, but it it is often a sign if you see a couple really fast works in a row that they are thriving. And like I said, I, I don't doubt that she's going to give a representative effort. I might even be inclined, however, if I were getting wise, i.e., to give greater consideration to Jones's other horse, Blue Violet, just uh-huh. because if the pace does turn fast and they go to half at a quick tempo, uh, I see the potential for some serious falling apart, and she'd be one of the ones who would take advantage of that scenario.
2: Well, let's go from the fairgrounds, take you a little bit out of your element, but in a race for three-year-old Colts that looks more similar to the Rachel Alexandra uh, in that Todd Pletcher has another powerhouse horse, has not been out yet this year, but the horse has never been defeated, and we're talking about the Fazig Tipton Fountain of Youth, grade two, going a mile and a sixteenth, derby points in here, the name of the horse is violence. There are, without a doubt, some other talented horses in here, but is he the one that they've got to beat? Well, I don't know. Um, I like the horse. I, <laughs> That's you know, why I had you on the show. I, I want to get I different put, opinions. I said fantasy
5: horse racing, and I put him on a, my list of horses when I saw his, his maiden win at Saratoga, horses that I thought I wanted to acquire up with his fantasy stable in the fall. And he does, I mean, he definitely has ability. to a really nice two-year-old pattern. Um, and, you know, with the point system, The graded earnings from the cash flow are not nearly as meaningful as they would have been in previous years, so I would imagine that the idea is to run quite well off the bench. Uh, His style, I don't think necessarily suits Gulfstream especially well, but I think he's an inherently better horse than his opposition. For the most part, one of the horses that I found interesting was the grab motion-trained Chero, who I was impressed with the development he raised. He made in the 2 stars this winter at Gulfstream. I thought it was a really good sign that he showed he was able to show more pace, you know, which is what you need to do down there a lot of the time. He does have some speed and some staying power and um if I were betting the race,
2: I'm not sure I am yet, he'd probably be the other horse I'd consider. It's interesting to see a Mr. Greeley that was foaled in Ireland and comes back here to race. Yeah, I don't know his reading history, but I do know that
5: uh Team Valor and Bear Irwin have plus a lot of really really useful horses from Italy, which no denigration to Italian racing. It just doesn't have a big top to it. If you can find horses that are uh, can win or be competitive in graded stakes races, you know that are not that proven in Italy.
2: In Italy. That's that's pretty great accomplishment. Yeah, well, I think Barry Irwin's got somebody with binoculars watching workouts at every track in Europe. <laughs> quite frankly, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> So as as we see the 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 Fountain of Youth set up, uh, this has been traditionally uh, an important race in the landscape going towards uh, the Kentucky Derby. Uh, How do how do you see the race setting up? Give me maybe your top three. I guess he's had enough. Has decided to go in here. Of course, he fell just a head short of Shanghai Bobby last year in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, Uh, but since then's been a little bit flat in his two efforts.
5: Well, I think he could run better. Uh, he seems like he's more of a dirt horse and he has, doesn't have that much, much exposure on dirt, although there's the growing sense of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile turning out to be a negative key race based on the return so far. Correct. You know, I'm, I'm gonna punt on the third horse. <laughs> I would take Chero at a little bit of a price over violence, but I wouldn't do it with a lot of confidence or, for that matter, a lot of capital.
2: Let me let me give you, if you could, to our listeners, Marcus. You said you weren't, you didn't, weren't even sure you were going to bet the race, but if you would, give me your top three and how you'd play them. Oh yeah, well, I mean,
5: I would probably be fooling around with Chero in the wind pool, and maybe a little bit of Xacta with Violence and a couple other horses. I don't know. I might look beyond the obvious second and third choices, or third and fourth choices, in play around in case violence doesn't fire, but like I said, I'm just not, I'm not hugely sold on the race as a great investment opportunity, at least in my zone.
2: Well, it's going to be fun to watch, uh, you know, if if violence does come back, uh, uh, it's going to put another uh, ring around, another Pletcher runner. I uh, must be uh, a real problem to have for uh, for him and, uh, and Baffert to try to keep <laughs> so many of their own horses away from each other. Well, we've got about two minutes left before we close, and uh, I was hoping that the Devana Dale would come up a little bit better than it did when I picked this race a few days out. Uh, but we only ended up with a field of five, and in there is a, another filly nominated the Triple Crown, uh, Dreaming of Julia. Anyway, they beat her in there. I, I think so. I mean, I, I, it would be nice if there were more
5: horses, but they would just be filler, I, w- I would think, John. I mean, I think there are some potentially nice horses in here. I, I would say that the best in here, um, you know, definitely tops a race like the one in my backyard, the Rachel Alexander. Potentially, private ensign for Dale Romans has impressed me. Two turns, then one turn with a pretty strong workout pattern. Since then, by APND, and d she could easily be better than uh, Dreaming of Julia. And I'm... Interested to find that out. Also, I think that Live Lively was a very <laughs> above-average one-turn allowance race winner at, at Gulfstream, and, and has a lot of potential. Being by Medala, Di Oro, Smoke Black, and there, a, a middle distance would definitely be within her range. I, I, I think that the top, the top of the race basically is the race. But I am curious to find out if
2: one of those races is as good as Dreaming of Julia. And, and, again, you know, as you, you speak about uh, Live Lively, it, it, it's always nice to have a win over that Gulfstream Park strip.
5: Yeah, I mean, the question is how, you know, she's going farther. She's running against better horses. She, she's got to negotiate an extra turn. She was very brilliant um, in her last win. and But, you know, it's the kind of win that a track like Gulfstream can, can flatter and, and make a Philly look a little better than she might – it basically be, I, but also at the same time, you know, it was flashy enough that she could have more substance than that, too. That,
2: that's why I think, you know, despite the short field, it's
5: a race worth
2: tuning into. Well, Marcus, listen, I, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking so much time out of your day. I know I know, it's a long one, uh, but boy, you're in a nice place down there in the Crescent City. Now, did I hear you say, it came out so quick, that Bob Fortas is now with the Daily Racing Forum?
5: Bob Fortas, yes, is yeah, his, he is a freelance writer for the racing form. His work generally appears uh, Friday online and in Sunday's daily racing forum. Uh, he writes one or two stories a week, helps cover stakes races, and generally keeps people abreast of the innermost
2: workings of this uh, racing venue. Nobody knows it better. Please give him a shout-out for me, Marcus. Get a for hear. me, all right? Say hello. Okay, to you, we've been John. talking with Marcus Hirsch from the Daily Racing Forum. I'm John Englehart, and that's going to conclude this edition of Winning Ponies. Thanks, too, to Rick Violet, Jr. from up there in New York. Remember, if you take a loved one to the races, practice safe bets.